Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for all of you who got your clock set ahead and you're here. So um, we'll be watching at, um, what, 1130 and see who walks in that door, right? So um, somebody can take notes? Just wondering. But uh, we'll get those names and contact them later. No, just kidding. Um, you know, bless is not unique to the covenant, uh, but the covenant has really embraced this whole uh, bless concept because it's really a great model for outreach in the community and with your, in your neighborhood. And as you know, Brad has been talking about uh, impacting our, what, neighborhood and impacting our city. And part of that is really about uh, really bringing your, your neighbors before the Lord in prayer. Start, begin with prayer. I like, I like the, ac- the acronym. It really works well, BLESS. Uh, it's too bad they couldn't find a, something that comes, starts with a B other than begin with prayer, but then it'd be plessed, and that's kind of hard. So, um, yeah, forget that. Anyway, um, but begin with prayer, because, you know, somebody has said nothing happens until people pray. You know, it's, it's our engagement with God around what God wants to do that makes a difference. It's not, it's not just simply because we ask and he does it. It's we ask in accordance with his will, and his will is to seek and save the lost, right? So we're going to be praying for them because that's what opens up doors of opportunity, both in their hearts and in ours. And then listen. Of course, listening is, can be challenging. Uh, for, for me, for example, it's tough. Ask my wife. Uh, no, don't forget that. Um, yeah, listening is, can be a challenge. And listening deeply, listening with care, because when we listen... I know, I know I do this quite often. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say before I'm done listening. Has anybody else done that? Yeah. So it's, it's really about trying to listen more deeply because people need to know that they've been heard. Uh, and then eating together, well, I, I think that one's probably one of my favorite pieces right there is for, in terms of eating together. Love to love to eat, as you can see. So, um, uh, you know, that, that's an opportunity. It's, it's an opportunity to engage and then, you know, serve in love. You know, you can really throw people off guard if you offer to help them with something because they don't expect that. They don't expect it. And then finally, sharing. Sharing the good news. Sharing your testimony. Now, maybe you can't articulate the gospel real well, but we all can share a testimony of what Christ has done for us. And just that alone is enough to plant seeds. And uh, you just never know where that's going to go. So it's a great model. We're talking about this, by the way, in Adult Sunday School. Uh, one more week, if you want to join us, you still may. Uh, Stacy Peterson is kind of unpacking right now uh, kind of how organic outreach looks, looks like. And this is really what organic outreach looks like. It looks like blessing. It looks like getting to know people. If we're going to impact people on the journey of life, we need to be in their lives. And it's, it's really fairly simple. It doesn't have to be this stretch where everybody gets pushed to go share the gospel with somebody. It's about being in people's lives and showing that we care. What's that old saying? People don't, know how much, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, Right? And so it's about caring well for people on this journey. So, you know, as we're looking at this, you know, it's part of the Great Commission, right? Go, go to make disciples. We're going to look at that today. 
Am I a little hot here, or is this, this okay? Um, so, the Great Commission, it sounds like it's weighty. We'll get into that a little bit later in the message. Um, but it really stems from the Great Commandment to love God and love others, right? What's the greatest, what's the greatest law, the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we're doing that, then the Great Commission is not that big of a deal in, in terms of difficulty for us. It's a big deal in God's economy because he wants to reach people and he wants to grow them up. But there's something that precedes that, and thus the, the topic of the message today, the Great invitation. You see, before we can do for God and even love him, we must accept his invitation. And his invitation is an invitation for us to enter into life in relationship to him. Now, the gospel, when it's initially presented, um, you know, may not have the fullness of it. You know, good news is good news, right? And the good news is much bigger than just identifying who Jesus is, but we start with who Jesus is and what he did. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that, in fact, uh, they as the apostles have been given this message of reconciliation. It's, a, it, it's that God in Christ is reconciling the world to himself. And in that word, reconciliation, it's kind of a theological term in, in some ways, but it, it encompasses all those ideas that... that Jesus laid down his life, so his sacrificial death, it's, it's justification, it's the atonement. That reconciliation is all about being restored to relationship with God through Christ. Amen? It's a great place where we all need that message. We need to understand reconciliation. We need to understand what Christ has done for us to make it possible for us to enter into relationship with God, with Christ. But it doesn't stop there because it's a lifelong journey. So this, what I call the great invitation, and I'm not alone in, in using that terminology, really comes out of Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. So let's read that together. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, that sounds good. Rest. <laughs> rest. But then he says, oh, by the way, in, if you're looking at other translations, it's uh, weary and burdened or etc. There's different terminology there, and it's kind of insightful to look at those. But how many know that in this world you can feel pretty weary and, and worn down? and burdened, right? So this could be an entrance point to being able to share the gospel with somebody. Before you lay out, you know, all the things that Christ did for us, maybe they need rest. They need rest. They're feeling the weight and the heavy of life. You know, there's a number of touch points, and Stacy's talking about this in Sunday school. It's like, 
where's their pain, where's their connection, you know, you, you look at for common interests and things, but, but where is this place where you can inject your story of how Christ has set you free or delivered you? And so it's important to understand that people are burdened and there's a weight and there's a heaviness and there's an anxiety around this world and its ways, right? And this is a touch point for the gospel. It's a touch point for us to present the good news, which is that Jesus offers us rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, that may not sound like good news. Okay? Take my yoke upon you. But he says this, uh, you know, it's a substitutionary yoke. He's asking us to let go of the yoke we've been carrying. And you all know what a yoke is, right? It's an ox or one or two oxes that are, are tied together and used to pull a cart or plow a field or something like that. And it sounds like more work, right? And that doesn't sound like it's restful. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest, again rest, for your souls. Okay, so Jesus is giving us an alternative to the yoke and the weight that we've been carrying. He's saying that we have, it, it, his yoke is easy and it's light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what he's offering us is something lighter than what they've been carrying. It's less intense. It's less heavy. Now you can look at that and say, oh, does that mean, you know, he's going to change the circumstances of my life? Maybe. Maybe not. But he is offering you rest in the midst of it. He's offering us rest in the midst of it. This is the great invitation. Come unto me, who? All? Uh, all? Okay, so does that include everybody in this room? Yeah, everybody out there? Certainly. Okay, so this is an invitation. But I want to show this in a little bit different context because I think if, we're, if we get this separated from the, the Jewish context in which it was in, we may miss some of its meaning. And so I want to bring that out a little bit today. So what, what he's really saying here, this is actually an invitation to discipleship. Now keep in mind that Jesus was a rabbi, a teacher, okay? And if you understand a little bit of the history there, there were certain strains of, of teaching that were common in Israel. And, and there were um, disciples under each one of these major teachers. So these major teachers would, uh, or rabbis, would have influence and they would raise up disciples and they, he would teach them his way of life. And so when, when Jesus is talking about yoke and burden, he's actually talking in discipleship terms. He's talking to those who understand that the process of making a disciple is that one comes alongside to follow and learn the teaching, the interpretation of Scripture, the way of living of the Master. So this is not... A, a gate kind of a thing. It's more of the path that we walk. So what, what a disciple would do in that culture is that they would align themselves with a particular teacher. And by the way, uh, just so you know, educationally, the, the boys in, in Israel when they were little, um, at least from the things I've researched here, 
They would, they would all go through what we would call elementary school. You know what elementary school was for them? Memorize the first five books of the Bible. Whoa. <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what we call Moses or the, or the law or the Pentateuch. Uh, memorize it. They didn't have to have application. They just needed it in them, right? Getting the word in your heart. They needed to get Moses' teaching in their heart, get the Word of God in their heart. So they all memorized that. So when, when you see later on in the Gospels and, and these educated people are challenging Jesus and his disciples as being uneducated men, it's because they only completed elementary school. They only memorized the first five books of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So then of the, of the ones who, who completed the, that... If their parents were affluent or had connections or if they were good enough, they got to be educated in the whole Old Testament. They got to learn that. And they started to learn application because initially uh, that learning process was just about getting, getting the word in them but not necessarily interpreting it because they were leaving the interpretation to the rabbis. And the, rabbi, the rabbi's way of teaching and his interpretation always was related to his master. So if these in this, after, let's say, middle school, if the, after middle school where they memorized or learned the whole Old Testament, then the best of the best got to go on if they were chosen by a rabbi to be a disciple of a rabbi. Now, they could petition to become a disciple of a rabbi, but it was entirely up to the rabbi as to whether or not this person would become a disciple. Yeah. But Jesus was a different kind of rabbi. You see, he's not trying to be selective here. He's opening, up, opening it up to all of us. It's a privilege and an honor if, if a, a Jewish young man was, was if a, a rabbi agreed to take this one in as a disciple, mom and dad were really happy, okay? And, and it was like, like okay, you're, you get to go to college, right? And so this was an honor. Now, the, the goal of a disciple was not just education. It was to learn the way of the master, the rabbi. So... When Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, he's talking in rabbi terms because the yoke represented the body of his teaching. It meant my teaching is light. And the burden is that which is expected of them to carry in terms of uh, their life. So he's actually speaking to this audience about discipleship. And discipleship is a lifelong process. Now, when they, when they got to be uh, looking more and more like their master and their teaching was the same as their master's, they were released to go make other disciples. Some interesting anecdotes there. It's similar in, in some ways to the way the Jewish bar mitzvah went or bat mitzvah for the girls. The, the boys would learn the ways of their father be tutored. Yes, they would be in education under the Torah as well, but, but they would get tutored in whatever profession their father 
was involved with because it was a passed on generation to generation. Jesus became a carpenter, right? So he, that, that person would, that child would be educated in what it is that the father does and what the father's expectations are. So when it came time for the bar mitzvah, around 12 years old, the young man would be asked questions. And the idea there was to see whether or not the answers to those questions would be similar to or the same as what the father would do. The evidence that that young man was ready was that he knew and believed and acted the way his father acted. And that's really a model for us. It's a model for us. Do we understand that Jesus is inviting us as our Heavenly Father, the Father is inviting us into a sonship. Now, when they were children, they were called children. They were not given any authority. They were not given authority until they reached sonship. Why? Because they couldn't be trusted until they were proven that they would act the way the Father would act, that they would be responsible with authority. So there was a testing period a testing period to see whether or not the child would, would respond the way the father would under various circumstances. And once that occurred, then there was the transmission of some levels of authority, increasing levels of authority to now what is called a son because they were a child before that and a son after that. And by the way, I'm not leaving the girls out of this. This was the culture, but the, the girls would learn whatever the trade of the mother was and what, what the, the mother was doing as well. Uh, so that, that same dynamic was in play there in terms of levels of authority and, and so forth. But the point is there's a proving here. And this is what discipleship was all about. You see, Jesus didn't release his disciples immediately to go do the works. They had to walk with him. They had to observe his way. They had to get his teaching into their hearts and into their minds and prove that they were responsible to, to respond the way Christ would before he released them. Sometimes I think in our zeal to walk in spiritual authority, we miss the fact that we are to be faithful with that authority and God grants it based on our level of faithfulness, fidelity to what he desires to accomplish, not what we desire. Again, the disciple was to look just like his master. Just like his master. And the, the whole way that, that a uh, disciple was raised in that culture you could, you could walk up and listen to a disciple and you could see who's discipling them because their way of living, their teaching, the, the doctrine, everything is just as it's, their master was. And each of these major uh, streams, if you will, had, the, had their own kind of biblical interpretation and nuances. And you could tell where, where somebody was discipled based on their teaching. This is why Jesus threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. You remember what they said to him? Where does this teaching come from and who gave you this authority? You see, they were not given authority to change teaching. They were only given authority to replicate exactly what their master was. 
There was only a few different streams where there was any biblical interpretation permitted within their structure. And everybody was expected, kind of like in churches these days, you got denominations, right? And, and everybody's expected to kind of get a sense for, all right, that, that person's of this persuasion and that person's of this persuasion, but anybody steps in that's outside of that, any of those boxes, and all of a sudden it's like, you're a heretic, right? So they went after Jesus because when he was uh, raised at 12, remember where he was in the temple, and his parents were looking for him, his earthly parents, and he said, well, you should have known where to find me. I was in doing my father's work. I'm in my father's house. You see, he had already been discipled and he was already given a measure of authority. But even so, he had to wait until he was 30 before he was released with the full authority to execute his ministry. He was continuing to disciple under his master, the father, until his time. Now, certainly, he, he was a light wherever he went but in terms of the release into ministry, there was a time and a season for that. And he had to prove himself faithful in little things before he could move on to big things. Everything about that rabbi that represented his teaching and his way of life was considered his way. So you remember in John 14 where Jesus says in answer to the question, we don't know where you're going, we don't even know the way. He said, I am what, the way, the truth, and the life? Okay, so he's not talking about being, all right, confess me and that's good. He's saying my whole way of teaching, of being, of living life, that's the way. pretty powerful. So I think it's helpful for us to stop and consider where are we in that journey? His way. You know what? I haven't always been walking in his way. I'm still learning it. We all are. But is it our desire to be disciples? Or are we just following from a distance? Do we want to really know our master? Do we want what we teach to be his doctrine instead of the doctrine of men? Or our own? See, we're not given liberty to create doctrine or reinterpret what Jesus said. As our master, he has told us what it is that we are to live. And he has given us his teaching. It's kind of interesting. I think that in some areas of Christianity, I've actually heard people say, well, Jesus said that, but that was before the cross, so it doesn't really apply. Ooh... I have heard that, and maybe some of you have, and maybe some of you have actually taken that bait. Maybe you've taken that bait. 
Paul is not coming up with new doctrine. He's explaining the teaching of Jesus more clearly. We need to start with what Jesus said. He's revealing the kingdom. One of the things that Jesus said was broad is the way or the path that leads to destruction. And many go that way. But narrow is the gate and narrow the path or the way, same word, by the way, (laughs) same word, path, way. Narrow is the way that leads to life and few there are that find it. The way. So, you know, I think in, in our zeal sometimes, if we're not careful, we can present a gospel that gets people to go through the narrow gate. In other words, receive Christ and go through this uh, understanding reconciliation to God, which is the establishment of a relationship. But we haven't really always been so good at telling them, okay, there is a narrow way and it means taking Jesus' yoke upon you. Yes, the good news is you get to let go of everything else. Okay? And in fact, the yoke, what Jesus was specifically referring to was the yoke of the Pharisees and the the other teachers. Like I said, there's these various streams of teaching and all of them combined had thrown, you know, some 600 different rules and regulations on people's backs that they couldn't even keep. Here's a good example. You know, in the scriptures where... Uh, Jesus and his disciples on a Sabbath are walking through a wheat field and his disciples are taking some wheat off there to eat and the Pharisees are ragging on them saying you're breaking the Sabbath. Well, why is that a breaking of the Sabbath? Well, two reasons. Because in the Sabbath law, they were not supposed to sow or reap on the harvest. And those guys were picking grain so they're reaping and that's a sin. You know how bad it got with them, though? They said you can't even walk through a field like that in case you accidentally shake some grain loose and it goes into the soil because then you're sowing. Whoa! (laughs) They couldn't even keep all the rules and regulations they set up. The people were confused. It's a heavy weight, a heavy load. And Jesus says, come on to me, all you that are burdened, that are heavy laden, that are weary of religious laws and systems that, that continually put you down. And Jesus said, as you, know, you, you lay um, things on people's shoulders and you won't lift a finger to remove them. Jesus said, I'm removing that stuff. That's nonsense. And this is what ticked them off. Because you see, he brought a different teaching than the major streams. The streams of the other rabbis that were well known. So they asked him, you know, who gave you the authority to do this? Where did this teaching come from? Because it obviously didn't come from any of our streams. He said, I got my teaching from my father. (laughs) <laughs> and he's straightening out all this mess. 
of the doctrines of men. And he's the one who gave me authority to reinterpret Moses and the Old Testament and the prophets. He's the one who gave me the authority because they're asking, where did you get this authority? It's not so much where did you get authority to cast out demons. It's where did you get authority to be able to change interpretation of the Bible? That's what they were asking him because there was only recognized camps and nobody was supposed to speak outside of those camps. Well, he was speaking outside of them and that can only happen with what they would consider to be a super rabbi. By the way, Jesus is the super rabbi. <laughs> Right? He's cleaning up this mess. Narrow is the gate and narrow the path or the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's an invitation to walk on the path. Do you know that the early church was called the way? I think maybe even before they were called Christians. I, I can't remember the order there. But they were called the way. And they were, they were believed to just be another sect within Judaism. What does that mean? It's a whole way of life. It is not about a singular decision. It is not about going through a checklist and saying, okay, did that, now I'm okay. It's about committing to an entire way of being that looks like our rabbi, Jesus. When the disciples were baptized, they would be baptized in the name of the rabbi. Sound familiar? And by the way, a student of a rabbi would not have his own, he would have disciples, but his disciples would ultimately be reconciled to the main teacher of the day who was, or maybe even who passed away, the, the, the school of thought that they came from. They would baptize people in that person's name because they're the ones who started this. So it's almost like saying, I'm, we're going to baptize people into the covenant or we're going to baptize people into Baptist church or whatever denomination. Right? Even though, or, or the name of, we're going to baptize people in the name of Martin Luther. Okay? So the point is that, that baptism was a death to an old way of living and not just resurrection to live life the way you want to, but resurrection to live life focused on the rabbi, the master. That's what baptism was about. I'm talking about water baptism now. You know, they would. You remember in the, the story in Acts where um, Paul ran into some disciples and, and he asked them, "What baptism were you baptized with?" And they said, "The baptism of John." And he says, "Not good enough. You have to be baptized." In Christ. <laughs> Why? Wrong rabbi. See, John's rabbinical, if you will call it that, he's baptizing disciples, but John's message was one of repentance while he awaited for the one to whom the promise was given and who would baptize in the Spirit. 
And so it wasn't good enough for Paul that, that these people were baptized into John's name. Wrong name. We're not supposed to be baptized into John the Baptist. We're supposed to be baptized into our rabbi. And what does that mean? It means we're, we're stepping into this great invitation. The great invitation will cost you everything. But it will be the only thing that you'll desire in, in, in life. It will be the fullness. It will be rest. It will be peace. It will be joy. Not based on circumstances, but based on embracing our rabbi, our master, and becoming just like him. The way may be difficult. We all know. But we stay on that course. We are not baptized into a confession where we can go live our life the way we want to. We are baptized into the name of Jesus. Well, in the Great Commission, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to get into controversy about (laughs) baptismal formulas here. That's not the point. But Jesus is pointing to the Father. He's given the Holy Spirit. He's given the Word of God. They are one. We are being fathered by the Father. We are being discipled by Jesus. We have been comforted and encouraged by the Spirit of God in this journey. But our journey is not complete until we look just like Jesus. which means it'll never be fully complete. (laughs) It's got a lot of work to do in me still. I know that. If you said amen, I'm going to wonder whether you're talking about yourself or me, but that's okay. (laughs) That's all right. I can take it. Do we want to look like our master? It's a great invitation. It's a great invitation because it leads to life. Broad is the way, the way everybody else is living, that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way, the way, Jesus, his way, the rabbi's way, that leads to life. And few there are that find it. I guess we're like Marines, the few, the chosen, right? Something like that. So looking at the Great Commission... They're jumping to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? The last three verses in the, in the book of Matthew. Uh, and Jesus came to them and said what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What a starting place. What a starting place for what he's about to say. Therefore... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Remember what baptism is. It's a commitment to follow our master and become just like him. That's what baptism is. Baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what else does it say? And teaching them to obey all, all that I have commanded. In other words, he's inviting us to become disciples who follow him and learn his way so that we more and more look like him. We cheapen the gospel if we boil it all down to a ticket to heaven. As important as it is to go through the narrow gate and everyone must pass through it, he's saying we need to stay on the narrow path, the way. I do think all too often there are people who go through the gate and then run over to the wide path thinking I went through the gate so I'm okay. If you see people on that way, on the broad way, Come alongside them. Say, hey, let's walk over here. It's a little narrower path, yes, but it leads to life. This is where we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is where we abide, and Jesus said we abide as branches in him as the vine. Right? And he's going to prune. His father is the vine dresser, and the father is going to prune every branch that does not bear fruit. So if there's stuff in our life that is unfruitful because it's not receiving life from the vine, which is Christ, the father is going to bring us into circumstances to cut that puppy off. Why? because we want to be fruitful. We are made to bear fruit. So I give you all permission to be fruity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe that's a dollar in my jar, but somebody laughs so I don't have to put a dollar in. Um, Jesus' final statement in Matthew in that passage, 28, 18 through 20. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I want you to notice that the Great Commission is Jesus' mission. And it's our co-mission because we partner with him in it. We partner with our rabbi to make other disciples. We introduce them to our rabbi, our master, our teacher, our Lord. And we come alongside to journey with them to teach them his way.
not our way. Paul said, well, you know, in, we've already talked about this several months ago. Brad was talking about this division in the Corinthian church, right? Well, some say I'm of Apollos, and some say I am a Peter, and I'm Paul, and, and all this stuff. And, and what did Paul say? Whoa! You see, what they were saying was Apollos or Peter is my rabbi. And I'm a disciple of that apostle. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You are not supposed to be my, dis- my disciple or Peter's disciple or the disciple of Apollos. You are the disciple of, is Christ divided? You are discipled by Christ. And what are we? We are servants to help you to be discipled by Christ, to look just like him. He was already confronting division based on personalities that would cause division in the body. You say, you you didn't get baptized in my name, did you? That's why he said that. You didn't get baptized in my name. I didn't baptize you to be my disciple. I baptized you to be Christ's disciple. Our focus needs to be on being disciples of Jesus Christ. The messenger is just a guide or a help along the way. Servants of Christ meant to help you to see the master's face and to be transformed by his life. Paul himself said, follow me as what? I follow Christ. To the extent that you see Christ in me, yes, I'm an example. But I'm pointing to Jesus. You got baptized in the name of Jesus, not the name of Paul. You're a disciple that's got your eyes fixed on Jesus because it's him you want to look like. Not Paul, not Peter, not this and that, not Brad Friedline, not John Meter, not Patty Chardon, not any number of ministers out there that you can pull up online. I don't care if you look like me. In fact, I'd be worried if you did. Okay. I want you to look like Jesus. I want to see Jesus in you. I want to see Jesus in me too. So we're here to help each other see Jesus and to look upon him and gaze into his likeness so that we can be transformed, so that we can be disciples. This is good news because it leads to life. It leads to rest. It leads to joy, to peace as we follow his way. So, in closing, my admonition for you today is first to look at your own life. Where am I at in this process of becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Is my faith real? Am I pursuing my rabbi so that I can become just like him? Or am I content with this much of Jesus, which is good enough 
so that I can just live my life the way I want. My hope is that as he shows us some things in our own lives that we need to look at, we can lay them down at the foot of the cross. We can pick up our cross and follow him, which is pick up our independent life so that we can experience the fullness of the life he offers. And my second question is, are you discipling others? Are you making disciples? That's the Great Commission, really. It's a process. You don't make a a disciple in a single thing. You invest in people's lives. You introduce them to Jesus. And then you walk with them to show them the way that leads to life. It does come at a cost. Means that I don't always get to just do what I want. <laughs> but then I wasn't called to do what I want. I was called to live for Him. And I have failed, yes, sometimes miserably. And I guard and protect my own time because it's my time. And I need to continue to lay that down to the Lord and say, no, it's not, it's your time. You gave me time so that I can become like Jesus. You gave me time so I can introduce others and walk alongside them and journey with them so they can look like Jesus. So give some thought to those questions. Search my heart, O God. Search my heart, O God. One thing is certain. We can't do this without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Spirit of God to quicken in us the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. God has given us the resources. He's given us of his spirit. He's given us his word. Christ abides in us. The Father is for us. He's shown us the way. We have a good, good Father that knows how to discipline his children to bring us out of childhood into sonship, into responsibility, into authority. Keep our eyes fixed on him. Amen.